Thank you for joining us for this podcast of the Family Fellowship of Greenville, located in Greenville, Texas. If you'd like more information about our church, please log on to www.familyfellowship.us or email us at info at familyfellowship.us. Now here's lead pastor, Paul Blue. Good morning, everyone. If you have a Bible, I want to invite you to turn to Matthew chapter 24. Matthew chapter 24. You know, there are certain things in all of our lives that are predictable. You know, things that, that never change. When I was little, uh, thank you, Jason. Sometimes my dad would would go on a trip, be gone for five or six days. And uh, when that happened, we knew it meant one thing. And that is that one of our meals would be barbecued wieners and Kraft macaroni and cheese. Uh, it never failed. Uh, and honestly, I don't remember ever eating it at any other time. Now, that doesn't mean that we didn't. I just don't remember if we did. Uh, it was a predictable meal. If I did something really bad, or if my brother Phil and I, if we got in a, in a big fight, we knew what mom was going to say. It was predictable. She was going to say, wait till your father gets home. That's right. There's certain things that are just predictable. When it comes to my time standing before you every Sunday, honestly, I know that I'm very predictable. My, my methodology, if you will, for teaching and preaching the Word of God to you doesn't vary much. The content, of course, does, but, but my delivery does not. I, I try and help you understand what the Word means, how you are to apply it to your lives, and so I use illustration and humor and, and memorable lines and bullet points, things like that. I don't do it that way because it's the easy way. It's, it's actually not that easy. I do it because I think it's the most effective way for all of us to understand and remember what God wants us to know. So I realize that I'm pretty predictable. So I don't vary much from that pattern, but I'm going to today. Um, today, I'm not going to use any humor. There's not going to be any real memorable illustrations because I just can't find a way to use them when we talk about what's going to happen to unbelievers after the rapture. So I'm just going to cut it to you straight this morning. There's coming a day soon when Christ will return for His church at this event that we've talked about called the rapture. When that happens, uh, believers are called to meet Christ in the air and then we go and we stand before Christ at the judgment seat of Christ where we give account for our works and our works are judged. But what about all the unbelievers that are left behind? That's what I want to talk about today. What happens to them? And just put it in, in, in one sentence. They will experience the world's worst nightmare, what's called the seven-year tribulation period. Now, our world has experienced great tragedy uh, in the past. Most of you remember the tsunami that happened in the Indian Ocean in 2004. 230,000 people were killed in that tsunami. In the year 1556, an earthquake hit China and killed an estimated 820,000 people. And those types of death tolls are almost for us unimaginable. But those death tolls pale in comparison to what will happen to those left behind after the rapture. In the seven-year tribulation period, 90% at least of the world's population will die. Matthew chapter 24, look at verse 21. This is speaking about the tribulation period. It says this, For there will be greater anguish... 
than at any time since the world began, and it will never be so great again. What's going to happen during this seven-year period of tribulation is worse than anything the world has ever seen and, and, and will ever see again afterwards. And when the rapture occurs, it starts a chain of events that no person would wish even on their worst enemy. So this morning, I want to share with you four tragic events for unbelievers after the rapture. The first is this. There will be inconsolable despair. Inconsolable despair. There in Matthew chapter 24, look at verse 37. It says, When the Son of Man returns, it will be like it was in Noah's day. In those days before the flood, people were enjoying banquets and parties and weddings right up to the time Noah entered his boat. People didn't realize what was going to happen until the flood came and swept them all away. That's the way it will be when the Son of Man comes. Two men will be working together in the field. One will be taken, the other left. Two women will be grinding flour at the mill. One will be taken, the other left. Let me ask this question. Have you ever lost a loved one suddenly, unexpectedly, and tragically? Many of you have. In 1979, when my 20-year-old sister was killed in an automobile accident, it was so... You, you just You never see that coming, do you? And it's sudden, and it's unexpected, and it's tragic. And when you lose a loved one like that, it's almost as if the world goes on about business, but you step out of the time continuum. If you was like you're in a time vacuum, you can't eat, you can't think, you can't drink, you feel like you can't even breathe, you know that you're alive, but you feel like life has stopped. The despair, the feelings of despair that you feel due to your loss is something that is inconsolable. And by that I mean there is nothing that anyone can do or say that fixes or changes anything. But it's not just the loss of loved ones that can create this level of despair. Many of you were alive, or I won't say many at this point now, but some of you were alive um, when Pearl Harbor happened. And, and you you saw the, the loss of life, and it, and it was just... It just time stopped. Most of you were alive when the when the jets hit the World Trade Center, and we saw all those those lives uh, lost as well. And and, and we're just we, we have these feelings of despair, and we're inconsolable in the moment for people that we didn't even know, but because of the 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 the, the, the number of of lost lives. Now, just think about the horrors that those left behind will face when Jesus returns for the rapture because in a flash, every person that knew Jesus will vanish from the face of the earth. Just like that. People from every walk of life, every age group, every race will simply vanish. People will disappear from their homes, from their workplaces. Stoves will be left cooking. Lawnmowers will be left running. Bathtubs will overflow. Children will disappear from school classrooms. Classes of 20 will all of a sudden be classes of seven. Seven children who will be have nightmares for months and be scarred for the rest of their lives, though their lives won't be very long. It's feelings of despair that people will have, and they will be inconsolable. And the result of that takes us to the second tragic event, which is incomparable disaster. 
Go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. In chapter 5, it talks here about the event of the rapture. And the previous chapter does too as well, but we're going to pick up right in in chapter 5, verse 1. It says, Now concerning how and when all this will happen, the Christ's return, the rapture, dear brothers and sisters, we don't really need to write you. For you know quite well that the day of the Lord's return will come unexpectedly like a thief in the night. When people are saying everything is peaceful and secure, then what's the next word? Disaster. Disaster will fall on them as suddenly as a pregnant woman's labor pains begin, and there will be no escape. People will disappear from workplaces and from malls and from sporting events. People will disappear from behind the wheels of cars and trucks and motorcycles and boats and airplanes. With, with drivers and pilots disappearing from behind steering wheels and controls, planes will crash, cars will crash, semi-trucks will crash, buses will crash. Just from the initial day alone, the earth will be littered with dead bodies. People will call 911 because of the chaos, but the phones will be down because employees are missing and dispatchers have gone in the rapture as well. And even if there were some other dispatchers, firefighters and law law enforcement, many of them are gone as well. And even if they do find some there and get some people to doctors, many doctors and nurses have vanished as well. And ambulance drivers, they're all gone. Hospitals are are very short-staffed and maybe even have no leadership because they knew Christ as their Savior and they were gone in the rapture. It will be total and utter chaos. There will be mass confusion and hysteria. Parents will find their children gone. Husbands will find their wives gone. And wives will find their husbands gone. Teens and college students will find their parents gone. And and while all the dust is settling, everyone's going to want to know what happened. And that brings us to the third great tragedy. There will be inspirational deception. And I know you're thinking... How is deception inspirational? And, and you'll see. Uh, in, in my Bible, it's just one page over, Second Thessalonians chapter 2. In the midst of the chaos and the grief and the hysteria and the confusion, one man is going to step up and stand out as the one who will bring order to all the confusion. One man will come to the, to the forefront and will bring calm to the chaos. One man will rise up and provide leadership and answers, and he is who we call often the Antichrist, and who the book of Revelation calls the beast. He will take the world stage, and he will make sense of it all, but he will accomplish it with deception, with a lie. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 1. Now, dear brothers and sisters, let us clarify some things about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and how we will be gathered to meet him. Don't be so easily shaken or alarmed by those who say that the day of the Lord has already begun. Don't believe them, even if they claim to have had a spiritual vision, a revelation, or a letter supposedly from us. Don't be fooled by what they say, for that day will not come until there is a great rebellion against God and the man of lawlessness, that's who we're talking about, is revealed, the one who brings 
destruction. Go to verse 9. This man that we're talking about, the Antichrist, will come to do the work of Satan with counterfeit power and signs and miracles. He will use every kind of evil. What's that word? Deception. To fool those on their way to destruction because they refuse to love and accept the truth that would save them. So God will cause them to be greatly deceived and they will believe these lies. Then they will be condemned for enjoying evil rather than believing the truth. So the world is in utter and total chaos and mass hysteria. And the Antichrist comes to the forefront and he stands and he begins to to make sense out of nonsense. He he will explain away the departure of, of, of millions of people. And all those people who before that had heard the gospel and rejected it will believe the lies. They will believe the deception that the Antichrist gives. They will believe his explanation as to what happened to all of these millions that just vanished. We think, how how could everyone that's heard about Jesus and and maybe even been at a church like, like this today that's hearing these things, how could they believe it? How could they not remember, oh, the, 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 the Christian world always talked about this thing, this rapture where millions of people would be gone. How are they going to believe those lies? And, and it's a simple explanation. They believe it just like they hear about Christ and reject him today. They then, just as now, will believe what they want to believe. Do, do you know, and I don't, I don't mean to like be stepping on anybody's toes if you believe this, I mean, the truth is the truth. There are Americans today, we're seeing it more and more, that believe socialism politically works. And yet you look throughout history and across the world and everywhere that socialism has been the form of government, it has brought that country to ruins. And yet in America, we have people that think that is the answer to our problems. Why? Because people are easily deceived. People believe what they want to believe. And that's exactly what will happen after the rapture. Besides, think about this. The Antichrist is going to get up and speak a lie. And there's going to be a world full of religious leaders who are going to stand next to him and say, that is exactly what happened. Every Muslim imam in the world will still be here. Every Hindu priest in the world will still be here. Many Catholic priests, Mormon bishops... Baptist pastors, Methodist pastors, Presbyterian pastors, Pentecostal pastors, people that stood in pulpits and opened the word of God to people, but never responded and had a personal relationship with Jesus Christ on their own, will be here when that happens. And they will stand arm in arm with the Antichrist and say, this is what happened. And the world will believe what it wants to believe. But you see, it isn't just deception. It's inspirational deception. There in chapter 2, look at verse 4. It says, He, that's referring back to verse 3, the man of lawlessness or the Antichrist, the Antichrist will exalt himself and defy everything that people call God and every object of worship. He will even sit in the temple of God claiming that he himself is God. Go to Revelation chapter 13. Revelation chapter 13. The, the lie of the Antichrist will be so good, 
It will be so inspirational at a time when people are looking for anything. He will inspire them so much that they will begin to worship him. Revelation chapter 13, verse 4. It says, they worship the dragon. That's talking about Satan. Forgiving the beast, the Antichrist, such power. And they also worshiped the beast. They worshiped the Antichrist. Who is as great as the beast, they exclaimed. Who is able to fight against him? Then the beast was allowed to speak great blasphemies against God. And he was given authority to do whatever he wanted for 42 months. And he spoke terrible words of blasphemy against God, slandering his name and his dwelling. That is, those who dwell in heaven. And the beast was allowed to wage war against God's holy people and to conquer them. And he was given authority to rule over every tribe and every people and language and nation. And all the people who belong to this world worshipped the beast. They are the ones whose names were not written in the book of life before the world was made. The book that belongs to the Lamb who was slaughtered. So by the middle of the tribulation, at the very least, they will all see him, the Antichrist, literally as God. And they will worship him and they will obey every command, even the command to take his mark upon their bodies. Look at verse 16. He, the Antichrist, required everyone, small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to be given a mark on the right hand or on the forehead, and no one could buy or sell anything without the mark, which was either the name of the beast or the number representing his name. Wisdom is needed here. Let the one with understanding solve the meaning of the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man. His number is 666. And so those who are left, they, they will be deceived by the lies of the Antichrist. They will be inspired to see him and worship him as God. And as a result, they will do everything that he says. And so they will then take the mark of the beast, the number of the Antichrist, 666. Without it, they can neither buy nor sell. I, I preached on, on the mark of the beast in 2010. That was eight years ago. And I told you then that there was a technology that existed even then in 2010 that would be super easy to be able to, to put into practice with humans. And it was being used in pets at the time. It was microchipping. A microchip simply implanted under the skin. Now, just eight years later, it's in use in humans. Watch this. If you're always forgetting your keys, if you're always forgetting to print off your tickets, or your phone is always dying so you don't have the tickets on your phone, then maybe this is really worth the risk or worth the hassle of having an implant. This is a new technology, of course. We're seeing, we're seeing the baby steps in, in this area. but. Uh, um, Everything that makes our lives easier, I think, uh, is um, interesting. And uh, being able to travel on the train without using a ticket is uh, its a new way. And uh, I think that uh, attracts uh, new customers to SJ. 
This technology is no different than using a commuter plastic card or like your new Visa card when when you go to shop shopping in supermarket. So I don't think the privacy is is threatened in just in this particular technology. When I was growing up in the church and, and my dad would, would uh, preach about the mark of the beast back in the, uh, in the 80s, the, the best technology that we had at that point was uh, UPC barcodes. Uh, and that made sense back then. But that, that is nothing compared to the technology that is found in microchipping because a UPC meant that you would have to have it to, to buy or sell. But here's the, here's the beauty of microchipping. For the Antichrist, satellite tracking. And here's how you sell it if you're the Antichrist. Everyone takes this. This is you'll have to have this to buy or sell. And here's why this is important: because now illegal things can't be bought anymore. Because we'll know. And, and so you know what that. I mean, the first thing that's going to go right is guns. You won't be able to buy guns anymore. They'll take all of that. If there's a crime somewhere, they're going to know who was there because of satellite tracking. Am I saying this is what it, I'm, I don't know if this is what it is or not. I'm just saying this technology does exactly what the Antichrist will want it to do. And people will love it. And they will love him for it. Every person who has heard and rejected the gospel before the rapture will believe the lie and take the mark. And their end is the fourth tragedy after the rapture, which is inescapable destruction. Inescapable destruction. When Christ returns at the rapture, all those who have rejected Christ immediately immediately begin an inescapable descent towards death and hell. Second Thessalonians chapter two verse ten says he, the Antichrist, will use every kind of evil deception to fool those on their way to destruction. You see, they're already on their way because they refuse to love and accept the truth that would save them. Verse 12, then they will be condemned for enjoying evil rather than believing the truth. You see, they're already on their way. Once someone that had already knew about Christ enters into the tribulation period, they're already on their way to destruction, and it's inescapable. They are condemned without hope. In Revelation chapter 14, verse 9, says, A third angel followed them, shouting, Anyone who worships the beast and his statue or accepts his mark on the forehead or on the hand must drink the wine of God's anger. It has been poured full strength into God's cup of wrath, and they will be tormented with fire and burning sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and the Lamb. The smoke of their torment will rise forever and ever, and they will have no relief day or night, for they have worshipped the beast and his statue and have accepted the mark of his name. When the rapture occurs, every person who has heard of Jesus and who rejected him is on the path to destruction, and there will be no way for them to be saved. But I do want to make sure that that you do know this. Anyone 
that is left behind because they had not never received Christ before the rapture, but they had never heard the gospel, they will have a chance in the tribulation period to be saved. The Bible says that God is going to send out 144,000 Jewish evangelists to go out and share the gospel with those who had not heard beforehand. And so they will have that opportunity. That will be their second chance. But there will be no second chance for those who heard the gospel and rejected Jesus before the rapture. Revelation chapter 20, verse 15. I'll close with this verse. It says this. Anyone whose name was not found recorded in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. That's the ultimate place of inescapable destruction. That is the place that everyone is bound for unless they have committed their life to Jesus Christ. The question that I just asked to you this morning is, is is your name in the book? Is your name written in the book? I didn't ask you if you went to church. I didn't ask you if you went forward during an invitation, whether it was at a, at a church or a revival or a camp. I didn't ask you if you were baptized. I'm asking you this morning, have you committed your life to Jesus Christ, believing that forgiveness of sin is made possible in Him and Him alone? Christ is coming. The rapture will happen. If you've chosen to ignore or reject Jesus, then today is your second chance. And it may be your last chance. Because when he comes, your second chances are over. And I know some might be thinking, well, if I don't, if I don't get saved today and the rapture happens, I'll remember what you said. And I won't believe the lie. I won't believe the deception of the Antichrist. And I'm just here to tell you, yes, you will. Just like you're believing his deception right now, which is telling you, you don't have to do it today. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes this morning? Jesus is coming. If you don't know him, you will be left behind to face inconsolable despair, incomparable disaster, inspirational deception where you will believe the lie and inescapable destruction. If you're here today and you've never committed your life to Jesus Christ, this is your second chance and maybe your last. It's not the time to play games or pretend or worry what anybody else might think. Today is the day to commit your life to Jesus Christ. With every head bowed and every eye closed, I just want to ask this morning, is there someone here today and you say, you know, I, I, I know people may think differently of me, but I've never committed my life to Jesus Christ and I want to do it today. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to approach you. But I want us to pray together this morning. And so if you're here this morning and that I'm describing you, I need, Paul, I need to be saved today. Would you simply lift your hand and, until I see it and acknowledge you? I'm looking in the, in the floor right now. Is there anybody at all? Okay, I see you. I see you. You can drop your hands in the center section. Anybody in the in the in your left-hand section? I need to be saved today, Paul. All right, balcony. This is my day. This is my second chance, and I'm taking it. I need to be saved today. I don't want to miss you. Anybody in the balcony? I'm all the way over now, far right-hand side. I need to receive Christ today. 
For those of you that acknowledge your need for Jesus today, the Bible says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that He is the one that God raised from the dead, you can be saved, believing that forgiveness is only available through Him. And so I want to give you the opportunity right now to confess with your mouth that Jesus is your Lord. So you pray. Pray something like this. Dear God, I know I'm a sinner. And I know I need Jesus today. And I want to receive the free gift of forgiveness that's made only possible by Jesus' death on the cross. And so today, I commit my life to Him. And God, help me from this day forward to live a life that shows Christ in me. you prayed that prayer or something like that where you admitted your need for Jesus today the Bible says you can know you have eternal life you know how you can know because your name was just written in the book and the Bible says that it cannot be erased that's what God's grace does for us if you're here today and you know Christ as your Savior Here's why we study end-time prophecy. It should create an urgency within us to help people find Jesus. Because He's coming. And I believe He's coming soon. Heavenly Father, pray this morning that Your Word would do the kind of work that only it can do. Lord, for every person here this morning that came not knowing Christ as their Savior, I pray that they will not leave the same way. God, if there are any here today that, that have never been saved and they, they, they just, for whatever reason, just could not admit their need for Him today, Lord, I pray that they would do it even now, even before they walk out the doors, even if they have to come and, and find a, a friend in church or a pastor or whatever and say, I need to take care of this today. God, help all of us to have a sense of urgency about the return of Christ and what it means, not just for us as believers, but for the the horrible chaos that what it means to unbelievers who will be left behind. God, give us the boldness to share Christ with those we love and those we know. That your name would be honored and glorified and that your kingdom would be filled with your children that you love. And ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.